Good afternoon, everyone. This is Wissam Sharafuddin speaking to you from Dearborn Blog, and welcome to Dearborn Blog Live Discussions. Our cultural institutions are facing a moment of trial. Powerful protests for racial and social justice are leading to overdue demands for police reform, along with wider calls for greater equality and inclusion across our society not least in higher education, journalism, philanthropy, and the arts. But this needed reckoning has also intensified a new set of moral attitudes and political commitments that tend to weaken our norms of open debate and toleration of differences in favor of ideological conformity. As we applaud the first development, we also raise our voices against the second. This was the opening of a letter signed by 150 public figures and published by Harper's Magazine calling to do away with cancel culture altogether, denouncing the movement as censorious and an intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism and the tendency to dissolve complex policy issues in a blinding moral certainty. Dr. Jill McCorkle, a professor of sociology and criminology at Villanova University, told the New York Post that the roots of cancel culture have been present throughout human history. Societies have punished people for behaving outside of perceived social norms for centuries. She said, I quote, cancel culture is an extension of or a contemporary evolution of a much bolder set of social processes that we can see in the form of banishment, she said. They are designed to reinforce the set of norms. The end of quote. Over the last few years, the social media trend has gained momentum under the trendy new name, cancel culture, placing celebrities, companies, and media alike under a microscope of political correctness. Twitter, do your thing, is a hashtag that encourages Twitter to ban certain voices for being perceived as politically incorrect by some. Is the mass request for cancellation a solidarity move, or is it a mob public shaming? Does it fight against racism and other social toxic phenomena, or is it itself a toxic attack on free speech? Hashtag is over party. The hashtag is over party is an odd to cancel culture most recently used to cancel Jimmy Fallon after a video resurfaced of him in blackface imitating Chris Rock. While hashtag Jimmy Fallon is over party was quick to trend on Twitter, some users were quick to condemn his cancellation. One user wrote in the thread, the culture of canceling people is ridiculous. Jimmy Fallon did this 20 years ago when he was young and had to listen to his boss in order to put food on his table. Cancel culture is the phenomenon of promoting the canceling of people, brands, and even shows and movies due to what some consider to be offensive or problematic remarks or ideologies. Over the last few years, the social media trend has gained momentum and has placed a lot of pressure on celebrities, companies, and media. Um, brands have changed their names, their logos, their... Uh, uh, their marketing uh, styles, um, changes are oversweeping on daily basis as we live today, this phenomenon. Does cancel culture pose a threat to free speech? Join us right now for this live discussion 
to discuss this question with Professor Gonzalo Munvar and Dr. Adnan Jaber. Welcome, Dr. Adnan Jaber and Dr. Munvar to the studio. Thank you. Uh, I'll introduce Thank Dr. You. Munvar first, interdisciplinary scholar, professor, and author who has taught philosophy, history, science, literature, mathematics, and writing at the college level. His particular field of interest is the philosophy of science. A native of Colombia, he has been a visiting professor at universities throughout the world. Munovar has written and edited several books on philosophy and is the author of an award-winning novel, The Master of Fate, which is set in his native country. Dr. Adnan Jaber completed his Doctor of Philosophy in Clinical Psychology at the University of Detroit Mercy, where he also received his Master's of Arts degree in Clinical Psychology in 2010. Adnan completed his undergraduate degree in Psychology at Lawrence Tech University and is currently working as a clinical psychologist at the Center for Forensic Psychiatry, a contractual psychologist at Great Lakes Psychology Group and is an adjunct professor at the University of Detroit Mercy. He has completed an APA accredited internship at the Aurora Mental Health Center in Colorado, and his current research interests include moral judgment and reasoning and applying EEG technology to various questions and theories in moral psychology. Adnan is also interested in consciousness and the mind-body problem. Welcome both of you again. Thank you. Dr. Munvar, we'll hear from you first on this subject. Well, I think the most important principle of a free society is freedom of speech. If it doesn't exist, the society is not free. In fact, a characteristic of a fascist society is precisely that it goes with such strength against freedom of speech. And presumably, the reason these people justify doing away with freedom of speech is because those who want to exercise it are, are um, uh, the uh, guarantees, or well, excuse me, they are gifted, let me put it that way, with white privilege. So any question of whether a particular statement or a letter or something is racist is immediately met with the notion of white privilege. And um, all this is in the name supposedly of social justice. But I think what is being done here is a terrible social injustice, not just to the people who are persecuted for their points of view, but actually to the people that these uh, um, mobs are trying to help, namely black people in this country, or principally the black people in this country. And uh, um, <clears throat> why is that? Well, because, uh, first of all, let's talk about white privilege. What is white privilege? Um, a lot of people have to work their butts off uh, in order to get where they are. A lot of white people, I should say that. And, um, oh, but they knew that if they were hard and if they did this and that, that they would be able to succeed. Presumably, that's where the white privilege is. And they knew that they had certain rights and those rights would be respected and so on. And that is supposed to be white privilege. Well, do you want to do away with white privilege then? That's the kind of privilege that every citizen ought to have. And what we ought to do is make sure that everybody 
is included in having such privilege. So no one should be chastised for one having white privilege. We just want to extend it to everyone in the society. That is precisely what we want to do. That's what Plato told us in the Republic, where he said that in the myth of the metals, that the gods had put metals into every child. And then the uh, main function of the uh, rulers of the society was to find out what those metals was. Metals were symbols for talents. So you have to find out what talents every child has, had to give the, the child an opportunity to develop those talents, no matter who his parents are. That's very important. In this case, no matter what race a person is. And then you have to make sure that when there is a job, that the person who is best qualified gets it. And that is something that all of us should have. At one time, blacks, of course, were ruled out. But that has been going away more and more. And it's very hard, at least in the circles in which I run, to find out anything of the sort against blacks. But if somebody says, uh, wait a second, you're accusing me of being racist, or you're accusing so-and-so of being racist, and what he said is not being racist. He's just defending a person, trying to keep someone from losing his job because he said something that you didn't like. That is, for supporting freedom of speech, somebody will himself be accused of white privilege. Of course, all three of us, we came from other countries, right? And when I first came, I actually ended up having to be in the Air Force. Uh, and uh, when I was signing up, I was asked uh, in this questionnaire, uh, what is your race? And there were several um, choices. I had no idea. I had never been asked in my life what my race was. I had never given a thought. I have some cousins who were blonde and blue-eyed and some who were very dark. I mean, how was I supposed to know what race I was? So I went to talk to the sergeant and he said, you're Caucasian, so right Caucasian. So now, of course, they have, apart from race, they have ethnicity. So now we are Arabs or we are Hispanics or we are something else, those are ethnicity. But those things are not racist. So it, could, it would be impossible to be racist or anti-racist in those kinds of things. And anyway, I always thought it was something despicable to do this. And it is the left that has kept this going on, especially identity politics that keep reminding people of a race and the horrible sins of the past. And when they do this, they make black people feel, one, resentment because of the horrible way they have been treated. And second, they make them feel that they are victims. How good is it to go through life thinking that you have been exploited, you have been put down, and that all the time, all you the majority of the citizens, because whites are still the majority, think less of you. This is not the way to go through life, uh, in emphasizing these kinds of things. And when somebody actually proposes what uh, Martin Luther King proposed, that people should be judged only on the basis of the character, not on the basis of the color of their skin, they immediately shout that that's racism. That's very strange that somebody who defends Martin Luther King's words could be accused of racist. Well, if you are white, certainly you are going to be accused of being racist. And uh, all institutions now, uh, and all the people, in, well, I should say by all as in most, institu well, all institutions, but most individuals now in academia, for example, 
and in the upper classes, they feel that, and definitely in the media, they feel that, all the white ones anyway, they feel that uh, if uh, they don't declare that they're anti-racist, excuse me, if they don't declare that they have been racist, then they're being racist. So not to be forthcoming with a confession of racism amounts to an act of racism. And how is this? I'm just trying to figure out, do in my in any of my professions, uh, do these uh, um, organizations, universities and so on, actually keep black people from applying? Or if they do apply, they throw them out, they don't even consider them? Not at all. Let me give you an example, my own example of how gross it actually goes in the opposite direction. When I first graduated from Berkeley, uh, with my PhD, this was way back in the mid-70s, I was looking for a job and the job market was absolutely horrible. I was interviewed for one, which I didn't get at Harvard, and I was told that there had been 800 applicants. That's a lot of people applying for just one single job. The one that I finally did get was for 350. I, I mean, I beat 350 people for it. But before then, it looked like I was not going to have a job. It was the situation was absolutely horrible. There were at least 300 applicants for every job. Okay, and in the middle of all this, I got a job offer, not an offer for an interview or for a telephone call or anything like that. A job offer from a university I had not even applied to. How could that be? You know. In that desperate situation, that somebody would just offer me a job, just like that. To make matters worse, my the, the area of specialization was supposed to be political philosophy. My area of specialization in my PhD was philosophy of science. I had not even taken a graduate seminar in political philosophy. There were at least 300 people in the country better qualified than I was. And they had me jumping over all these people. So this is actually what academia is like, you see? And now they're saying, oh, we have to get rid of all the racism in our society. You know, like uh, the American Philosophical Association or the Philosophy of Science Association. We are racist. We have to do something about it. And we, the first thing we have to do, of course, is recognize that we're racist. When actually what they do is the kind of thing that they did at that time. By the way, I refuse to accept that job, even though I was unemployed at the time and I was looking into unemployment permanently. Why? Because I thought it was extremely unethical to pass over 300, uh, at least 300 people who were far better qualified than I to give me that job. And that's the way it has been, you know. So we have these people uh, behaving in this way. And what I would like to say, uh, to give a name to this new era, is the era of the big H. The big H meaning the big hypocrisy. Because that's what these people are, a bunch of hypocrites who are willing to destroy the free society. So just they don't feel so guilty. But this is chick guilt. I'm sure none of these people actually discriminated against, or at least few of them discriminated against a black person or something like that. But by bringing this up, they are making black people feel bad, reconsidered, think that most of the white uh, citizens actually hate them or despise them or something like that. So the damage is all around great and the damage to our free society is ex 
extraordinary to have people actually lose their jobs for innocuous comments. And even if they were not so innocuous, they would have a right to make them anyway. We require different points of view if we're going to succeed in the sciences, in the arts, in life. Maybe I should stop here so Adnan can say something sensible. Thank you, uh, Dr. Munivar. Before we go to uh, Dr. Adnan, uh, just a follow-up question. Uh, um, you said that uh, sometimes that uh, tendency to, of the left to uh, keep bringing uh, on the identity politics is a reminder uh, of race and is, reinforces racism. That's what you've described. Yes, right. Um, Actually creates racism. When, yeah. when black students come into the university, they should be treated like everybody else. They should be challenged and so on. No, instead, the University of Michigan spent almost $20 million building a building so they could have like a safe room in there where they can only black students go in there. At the University of California, Berkeley, where I got my PhD, now black students can have only black uh, dorms. That segregation, again, that to me seems terrible. And by the way, uh, telling people, oh, we have to make room, a quota for blacks, whether they are qualified or not, actually tells them that they are not, not good enough. So I wouldn't want to go to life thinking that I wasn't good enough, but they gave me the job anyway. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, if, if, if the left would say that the, the actions that manifest uh, these uh, uh, social um, uh, toxic behaviors, like racism, for example, uh, such as police brutality, for example, is the reason that racism is being brought forth and it's not because of identity politics. What would you say to that? Well, I would say that what happened in Minneapolis, what that psychopath policeman did is absolutely horrible and the guy deserves to be in jail for the rest of his life having done that. And there are a few cases like that. And there was a time when I first came to this country where actually it was the norm for police to terrorize the black community. I mean, that was very, very common then. But a lot of things have happened since then. And what has happened since the police has been forced to withdraw from many of the black neighborhoods in the, in the last few days? Well, the number of murders has increased. And we have people like uh, AOC saying, oh, it's because they are poor. They need to, to, to commit crimes in order to survive. Well, one of the crimes they committed, for example, was to murder a one-year-old boy. And did they do this because they needed bread for their families to shoot a little boy in the head and to kill him? You know, and the family, of course, crying, is crying and all this stuff. The harm that is being done in Minneapolis, $50 million in damage was done by the mob. And who received the brunt of this, the black community did. Black businesses that were burned to the ground after being looted, black restaurants, and then also businesses that hire black people in those neighborhoods. So when all this mess is going to be over, that uh, livelihood had, will have been destroyed for many people and the others could not get jobs. And then on top of that, we have a tremendous increase in crime in the black neighborhoods. How is this good for black people? Do you, you know? do you feel do you feel that uh, some say that this was the only way to ex 
to to express the the need for change as far as police brutality and the uh, uh, quote unquote systematic uh, racism within the institutions, uh, and that this fight has been going on for very long uh, with with much uh, little progress. So sometimes it takes. Uh, I I I would point out that actually more white people than black people get killed by the police. That's the first thing. Second, even though the majority of crimes are committed by black people, there may be only 13% of the population, but they commit 53% of the crime. But furthermore, as I said, more whites than blacks have, are killed by the police. So that seems to go out the window. And second, black policemen you know, kill more black people than white policemen do. So, and, and in fact, in some of the cases, as in Baltimore, where the four policemen were accused of murdering this uh, one black guy in a van and then there were riots and all that, well, of the four policemen, two of them were black. You know, so it's hard to see. And in Detroit, we have a black man is the head of the police, as actually was in Minneapolis. And so this is very odd, you know, to, to be saying this is, yes, there are a few uh, psychopaths who are still in there. And in fact, the Trump government has already proposed a law to make sure that when somebody in the in a police force is fired for, for, for violating rules, for being violent and that kind of stuff, no one will ever hire him again in any police force anywhere. You know, this is the sort of thing that we have to do, but they ha it's not true that they had not been progress. There have been a lot of progress since since those early days, and I I do remember, by the way, just and, and I should say this as a last thing, uh, going back to one of the remarks that I made, that I myself came a long, long time ago, you know, and of course I'm darker than the average American, and uh, um, but the only time that I felt racism, actually I did by the police when I first came here but also by leftists. They always have been racist towards me. Why? Because they think that I'm a person of color and therefore I should behave like a victim. And if I don't behave like a victim, then I'm a traitor to people of color. I remember when I went to teach at this awful place called Evergreen, the Evergreen State College, uh, at my very first meeting of the faculty, they had something to discuss and they put us in rooms. And I thought this was random. Oh no, people of color ought to be in all of them together in this one room. And I said, I refuse to do this. It's the first time in, since I came to this country that I'm being told, you are of a different race, you go there. I'm not going to. And then I didn't go. I went to the beach to play with a kite with the vice president of, uh, advancement, who was black, by the way, you know, and so we didn't go to those stupid meetings. Um, and and so this, so the only racism that I have felt in this country since I came in 1965 uh, really has been by leftists. And it's the same kind of thing that is still exists. That's the identity politics that keeps reminding people that they're victims because they're not white. And the ones who are white, who are maybe perfectly nice to everyone, or oh, they have white privilege, therefore they should feel guilty about it. They try, try to atone for the white privilege, which is completely absurd. 
Thank you for your perspective, Dr. Munvar. Dr. Adnan Jaber. Yeah, uh, I think what I, I want to talk about is, uh, you know, uh, how does this phenomenon, you know, the cancel culture uh, affect, you know, uh, uh, our youngsters, you know, uh, and uh, their ability to cope with, uh, with life, you know, and mature and, you know, and uh, deal with all the complexities of life. Uh, I feel like when we talk about uh, cancel culture, uh, first of all, uh, you know, we're talking about, as Dr. Manovar alluded to, that this is uh, anti-democratic. This is kind of like a totalitarian thing to do. To, um, uh, to uh, 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 you, you have the right to challenge people's beliefs and challenge people's opinions and ideas, but I don't believe that uh, it's democratic to uh, uh, completely cancel people and eliminate them virtually or non-virtually just because you disagree with them or just because they uh, what they said uh, kind of bothered you or made you feel a certain way. And that's what I feel is happening uh, in campuses uh, with students, you know, uh, as Dr. Renovar also said that about like, you know, you're a victim, you know, and you, you are, um, you're surely, you surely are uh, 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 not only a victim, but delicate to the point we need to protect you. Uh, and uh, we will protect you by making sure that you are not uh, hearing or uh, uh, facing anything that might challenge you. Uh, that's what's happening uh, at universities, for instance, where there's safety triggers in classes, where there is, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 a lot of protections and infantilization, if I may say, to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to college students, to youngsters, by telling them that, you know, we will protect you, we will make sure that you don't... Uh, have to face what, what what you don't agree with, you know. Uh, one thing that I, I I think is you know is part of any society is uh, the the ideas uh, being uh, uh, stirred up against each other. You know, uh, society progresses, science progresses by ideas and uh, ideas opposing them, and and by 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 being able to provide. Uh, uh, arguments to support your ideas and uh, your beliefs, and uh, I might not agree with a lot of what some of the people that have been cancelled have said, but I've never thought or believed that the way is to silence them or to silence anyone. You know, uh, it, it just creates this hostile environment where people, you know, can hide behind. Uh, their computer being anonymous uh, with no consequences and attack someone's career and uh, integrity and character. Uh, it's not only uh, uh, celebrities or media people or uh, people who are uh, famous for getting treated like that. Uh, there are people, uh, uh, poor people or no, middle-class people, I would say, who have just regular uh, jobs and they're being attacked because someone might have found something that they posted or said or even said 20 years ago. So uh, this is really uh, getting out of hand. And uh, I, I think it's, it, it speaks to, uh, to our, uh, uh, you know, becoming a culture that's uh, really very protective of, uh, of, 
I would say of feelings instead of uh, uh, rationality. We're putting a higher uh, premium on feelings. Like, well, how does that make you feel? You know, if it's something makes you feel bad, then it's really bad. No, I mean, in, in life, it's not like that. You know, you would be faced on a daily basis uh, with things that might challenge you and you might not feel good about it, but that's okay. You know, that's part of growing up. And I think if I want to go back to uh, uh, to this calling out process, I think it all started with uh, uh, with the self-esteem movement, uh, the, the idea we need to uh, uh, to create a generation that's that's sheltered and that we're going to protect them from from competition and from patriarchal uh, 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 concepts. You know, that's going to make them you know uh, become uh, who uh, like. Uh, those bad people, you know, who are going to do bad things because they are uh, absorbing toxic masculinity and patriarchal values or this or that. I think from a clinical perspective, you know, uh, I feel the only way you can uh, change in therapy, for instance, is when you are being brutally honest with yourself. You come to therapy and you are being asked to look at yourself and to look at the things that you have been trying to avoid and deny about you and about your situation. And the only way you can change these things is to face them and, and, and not to hide from them. And when we do that in society, you know, when, we, when the different, when the, when the opposite or the different becomes very dangerous, that's gonna create a, a society where, where, where people are very, very, I dare to say, weak and vulnerable to, to anything that might come their way and challenge them. So from a clinic, from from just uh, 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 I would say a realistic perspective here, you know, uh, those people who uh, are advocating for the cancel culture, they're actually advocating for creating a generation that uh, does not know how to argue and counter argue and use arguments to justify or even to oppose other points of view. So uh, that's what I would have to say uh, for now. Thank you, uh, Dr. Adnan. I'm going to share uh, something with you, and I'd like to get your uh, opinion on it. <clears throat> In a Times Magazine uh, article by uh, Sara Haji, she's a writer based in Toronto, titled, Cancel Culture is Not Real, at least not in the way people think. I want to read you this quote from her. She says, I write frequently about racism and Islamophobia and have received more death threats, calls for my firing and racist insults than I can keep track of. But when people who believe cancel culture the problem speak out about its supposed silencing effect, I know they're not talking about those attacks. When they throw around terms like cancel culture to silence me, Instead of reckoning with the reasons, I might find certain actions or jokes dehumanizing. I'm led to one conclusion. They prefer, they prefer I was powerless against my own oppression. Sarah, in this case, uh, doctor, she is claiming that cancel culture, uh, what we call cancel culture, uh, or what is known as cancel culture, is a method for her to people like her, people who feel uh, they're marginalized societies. In her case, she feels she's a, a, a Muslim. She suffers from Islamophobia and other uh, things. 
they feel that it is uh, a way for them to uh, to get power, to reclaim the conversation, to mm. uh, oppose or resist um, uh, phenomena such as Islamophobia and other uh, and other things. What would you say to her? Well, it seems to me that if her complaint is that it is awful that people try to silence her, and then she seems she seems to think that the remedy for that is to make sure that she silences others. That seems to me about the worst way to go about it, right? So if you, if if what she says is true, and I have to say that I suspect it is not, but if what she says is true, what she should be actually arguing for is open-mindedness, not only towards people who have her points of view, but against, but towards people who have points of view that are different from hers and perhaps opposite of hers. And that it should be worked out uh, in the open and that no one should fear uh, any kind of threats as a result. That's what she should be arguing for. Not justifying what is being done to people right now over nothing. Um, I should say, furthermore, that where there are real problems in society, uh, this cancel culture, if anything, makes sure that we don't address those problems. And in the case of the racism against black people, um, there is clearly the case that black people are not doing as a whole as well as white people. Now, I should say that more and more all the time, black people are moving into the middle class and those problems seem to disappear for the most part. But there is a very large number that is not. And uh, let's face it, the problem has been uh, already identified by many, including many black people, including uh, former President Obama and many others. The problem is the destruction of the black family. 70% of black kids are born out of wedlock. In fact, over 70%. They have no father around the house. And Obama himself pointed out that somebody who grows up without a father is five times as likely to become a criminal and 10 times as likely to be unemployed. You know, all those kinds of awful numbers. This is what we ought to do something about. Well, at least the black society may have to do something about it with whatever help the rest of the society can give to it. And how is this going to happen? How is this created? You know, uh, black kids do very poorly in school. I mean, this is well known. As a whole, they do very poorly in school. At schools where practically no one makes the grade level that they're supposed to achieve. In the 1940s, in New York, in Harlem, the students in black schools did better on tests than most of the rest of the city kids did. And they were clearly being discriminated against in those days. In fact, they had practically no rights. The Supreme Court had taken them away from them a long time before. Um, and so how is this possible that now when they actually in the 1960s received the rights that they were entitled to under the Constitution, that is, they were recognized as full citizens, finally, at least legally, how is it possible that they have done worse? Well, because of Lyndon Johnson's great society that created a welfare system which rewarded girls 
for getting pregnant as long as there is no man around the house. And this is what led to the destruction of the black family. In fact, I remember watching a movie in the early 70s made entirely by black actors with black director and so on, saying that this is going to destroy the, the black society, the black family, and it sure did. So this is the first thing that we have to do, restore the black society, have two parents at home, you know, at least for the overwhelming majority of kids. Watch them growing up, development of a little kid, two to three to four years old, requires having two parents around the house, requires at least having the mother around the house. Many of them don't have this. So this is really, really important. And then those parents have to make sure that they're the ones who have the greatest influence on the kid and make sure that they really emphasize how important school was, as it was for those black parents in the 1940s in Harlem. That's what needs to be done. Then we can also make sure that we move as many people from the, from the black um, part of the society into the middle class. How? By having more jobs and so on. That requires, of course, that the middle class in this country be restored, which uh, was destroyed in the last several decades by having the jobs be outsourced to all manners of countries in absolutely absurd uh, agreements that the United States made with other countries. So we destroyed towns, the factories closed, people left. So even the people in the white class with the white privilege, you know, found themselves unemployed and nowhere to go. It's even harder than for black people then. So all these financial economic problems, which were being solved, by the way, or at least improving a lot before the pandemic, you know, um, plus a restoration of the black family. These are the kinds of things, and I'm not saying this all as looking from outside and just passing judgment on all these people. These are what many black leaders in themselves have said. Okay? This is what is important. And we need a new Martin Luther King to go to the black community and raise them, and make sure that this happens, make sure that they go back to the level that they were in the 1940s, but actually with the full constitutional rights now. This is what needs to be done. But when we do stupid things, like all this stuff about white privilege and racial justice, which has nothing to do with racial justice, it has to do with the destruction of the black communities today. You know, when we do all of this, then we really have real social justice. Okay. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, Dr. Adnan, any comments on Sarah Hajj's uh, uh, article? You're uh, muted. If you can unmute yourself, please. Uh, I think uh, when I speak about cancel culture, cancel culture, I think uh, also some people from the right are, 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 are uh, I would say, uh, uh, guilty of it also. It's not, uh, maybe the left uh, in, uh, does it more now. Uh, because of many historical reasons and identity politics, but I've seen a lot of uh, 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 cancel culture from the right, you know, uh, not as much as the left. So I could see where she's coming from, but I also agree with Monovar. I mean, if, she, if you're complaining about uh, uh, people trying to do this to you, the remedy is that to, uh, to, 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 to go against this and, and create more open dialogue. Uh, 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 cancel culture doesn't... Uh, if you look at what's happening recently, it's like when, when they say it's eating its own kids, you know, cancel culture. There's a lot of people uh, that have been, they're being caused to be canceled. Those people are not from the right. 
<laughs> Some of them are very left and liberal. I mean, take Steven Pinker. I'm not sure if you heard what happened with him a few weeks ago. There has been a call of him to be removed from a linguistic society because he just talked something that's a statistic about the black community or shootings by the police. You might not disagree agree with it, but he, there was a, a call for his cancellation. Uh, as, as you mentioned, Jimmy Fallon, I mean, who's, who's not <laughs> on the right, there has been cause of, of, of canceling him. Uh, we have to, what I say, be, be, be wary of what we wish, you know, uh, because it, it could become, uh, when I think about the cancel culture, I think uh, I go to what happened back in the 70s with this fatwa that came from Iran, for instance, against Salman Rushdie. Uh, just because he wrote something that made people feel offended, you know, there was a call for his uh, death, right? For uh, you know, he had he had people to protect him because there was a fatwa from the big guys in Iran that he should die because he offended so many Muslims, you know. And this was happening right now. Many people are saying, "I'm being offended." Where who draws the line? Who said what's offensive and not offensive? I think we're opening the door for for things that are 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 like dictatorship behaviors who you know like hate speech who would say what's hate speech and what's not you know this is very i think slippery slope slope uh, direction we're getting in and if we don't pay attention to that we could become really uh, anti-democratic country or republic and uh, start censoring people and uh, allowing administrators and people who are not you know, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, shouldn't have a say in it, have a say. You know, if you look at universities, a lot of administrators are are people who are making the shots, telling what people can do or not do or say or not say. You know, this is really dangerous, you know, and this has been increasing in the last 10 years. Administrators in Twitter now or in, in universities are making the shots and telling us what's, what's a, a appropriate or not appropriate. Thank you. I have uh, uh, also an article I'd like to share with you and get your opinion uh, about. Uh, this has been shared with me to share on this uh, on this episode. Uh, this is uh, published uh, at the Bullet. It's a, a, a leftist uh, website. It says the real masters of cancel culture are the pro-Israeli lobby. Uh, this uh, criticizes the uh, efforts of the pro-Israeli lobby uh, that always labels any criticism of Israel as anti-Semitic. And uh, there is a list here. I'm going to share the uh, link of the article with the, uh, in the comments. Uh, but there is a list here of all the canceled um, um, events uh, that were under the pressure of, of uh, these groups. Any comments, Dr. Munavar, Dr. Adnan, on this? Well, I um, do think that um, there are a lot of attacks on Israel all the time. And from what I have seen, um, they, the Israelis just point out that these attacks are false and so on. But the cancel culture today normally attacks Jews as well. Um, a lot of Jews in the United States have been attacked for their views. Um, so I, I don't think that the pro 
Israeli lobby is a main factor in the cancel culture. If anything, they have been attacked by the cancel culture. Um, you see a lot of um, <clears throat> activists are clearly anti-Israelis, and they keep saying so. Like those four women in Congress, that, um, the one from Minnesota, and AOC, and the one here from Michigan, they're constantly, constantly uh, uh, attacking uh, Israel and Jews, actually. They have just outright attacking Jews. So, so I think that whatever happens between Jews and Palestinians is something that needs to be worked out in a special way. But um, if anything, Israel and the Jews in general are targets of the cancel culture, not the other way around. I think I think you're meaning uh, by attacking Jews. I think you mean the incidents with Elhan Omar, the Congresswoman, when she mentioned the Benjamins' uh, comment on Twitter, and she apologized for it later when she was uh, educated about uh, how well, it can be. I, I, I constantly see uh, in the press actually attacks against Jews. And they have been attacked against synagogues, several in the country. Synagogues actually have been burned. Um, I think they are even on top of Catholic uh, churches, which are also being attacked by this cancel culture, by the mob. So synagogues and Catholic churches have been the ones that have been attacked the most. Um, yeah, we want to we wanna lay a distinction between those. That's right. Uh, the Jews are... Uh, subject to uh, uh, racism and anti-Semitism uh, uh, all the time, and we've seen that very clearly manifested lately. Uh, but what we are talking about here is a pro-Israeli lobby trying to cancel any person uh, or academic opinion uh, that um, sympathizes with Palestinians and criticizes the uh, some of the behavior of the Israeli government. Sometimes it goes too far. I'm, I'm not that conversant with that. In the cases that I have seen, they may have defended themselves or they have tried to undermine what other person has said, but I don't remember any case in which they said, and I, we want these people fired. If anything, people in academia have been under the fire uh, and they have been, at, uh, you know, they, they have been attacked because they were Jewish or because they were pro-Israel or something like that. Their jobs actually were on the line for the comments. Um, but so again, the, what I have seen from the pro-Israelis uh, or the pro-Israeli lobby have been defense or undermining or questioning the integrity of the people who are attacking them and so on. But not that I remember Mm -hmm. calling for the dismissal of these people or the being fired or anything of that sort. Sure. Um, you can check the article later, Dr. Munvar, for more uh, information. Dr. Adnan Jaber, any comments? Yes. Uh, well, uh, I think w there's a big distinction to be made here. Uh, those attacks uh, uh, on uh, Jewish synagogues uh, are actually uh, acts of anti-Semitism and uh, uh, nobody should in their right mind uh, 
uh, defend them. Attacks on people because they're Jewish uh, are also acts of anti-Semitism and uh, uh, racism or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but also there were attacks on uh, 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 on masks in, in America in the last 10-15 uh, years and there were burned, few of them. Uh, uh, so what I think we say you're talking about and I agree with is this uh, uh, trying to equate any criti criticism of Israel policies as anti-Semitic. And that's what I think is a problem here. And I've seen this a lot. You know, uh, uh, even people who in Israel agree with some of the criticism of the Netanyahu government right now. I mean, for, if you criticize Netanyahu's government uh, 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 plan to, to annex the, the West Bank and to continue to build settlements, you're considered anti-Semitic, and you've been attacked by some people. So I disagree with you, Dr. Manovar, that there is, when it comes to Israel, there is this, I, I, there is a H word you mentioned, there's some hypocrisy also on the left and on the right when it comes to Israel, is that, uh, you know, if there is an indication of someone being attacked because you're Jewish, then I agree, that's completely unacceptable. But just calling out Israel and, and their, uh, on their annexation of land in Palestine, and their plan to annex the Julian Heights in Syria, that's not anti-Semitic. That's and, and, and I, I think that's also another issue. And I think there's a lot of Jewish people who actually agree with what I say. You know, they even called called America, you know, called American policies and keep calling American policies because they actually contribute to what's happening instead of solving it. And one last thing I, I, I would like uh, uh, to add, there is a lot of people who are anti-Semitic in the community, and I know that, you know, but as much as I say we need to give people the benefit of the doubt, I'm not defending Alhan Omar, or I don't know, but I know that she said something and then she was told what it was, and she was, she apologized. I, I mean, I I think that should be part of what we do, is give people the, 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 the chance to redeem themselves. You know, people make mistakes. So I, I'm not defending her or what she said, because I didn't hear, but I know that she apologized. And, and she said she didn't know what it meant. So yeah, we, 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 when it comes to Israel, I agree with, uh, with the premise of the article. Uh, not in a, in a, like there's a conspiracy that is done by the Jews in, in America. I don't believe in that, no. But there is some kind of hypocrisy on both sides when it comes to Israel. And, and we need to go beyond that. And I think this is a subject for another time, probably. Right, and I, again, I wanna just, uh, because we sometimes, uh, uh, to be uh, uh, precise about this, uh, you said Jews in America. We're precisely speaking about the pro-Israeli lobby, not about Jews in America. Exactly. Pro-Israeli lobby are not necessarily Jews. Yes. It's, it's people who are enthusiasts about uh, pro being pro-Israel. Um, another topic I want to bring about is uh, an article written in uh, in uh, recently in New York Times, and I want to get your opinion on um, on these. Uh, on these points that were made on this article, this article is by uh, Ross uh, Dothat, uh, 10 Theses about cancel culture. He says, cancel culture, this is his introduction, cancel culture is destroying liberalism. No, cancel culture doesn't exist. No, it has always existed. Remember when Brutus and, and Cassius canceled Julius Caesar? No, it exists, but it's just a bunch of uh, rich, entitled celebrities complaining that people can finally talk back to them on Twitter. No, it doesn't exist except when it's good and the canceled deserve it. Actually, it does exist, but, well, look, I can't explain it to you until you read at least four open letters on the subject. 
These are just a few of the answers that you'll get to a simple question. What is the cancel culture thing anyway? Uh, and he goes to make 10 uh, claims about the subject. I just want to go over these claims and you tell me if you agree or uh, disagree. If you disagree, you can explain. If you agree, there's no need for uh, explanation. First of all, it's in cancellation properly understood refers to an attack on someone's employment and reputation by a determined collective of critics based on an opinion or an action that is alleged to be disgraceful and disqualifying. Do you agree? Um, I agree that uh, this is done very often, that people are attacked in academia, for example, there are calls all the time against a particular professor because he said something that is actually pretty much on the left, but not enough on the left for these people, for these people's liking. So they decide that this person should be fired, uh, that he should resign. All of this happens. So can cancellation occurs constantly by this uh, mob of intellectuals and by students who who uh, you know shout all kinds of things and demand that the university fire this professor? There is one professor at Princeton right now who is under fire for saying something that was very mild and very sensible, for the most part. And all they cannot take absolutely any criticism of any kind. These people do, and they think that this professor should be deprived of his tenure. He should be fired, and so on. This has been going on actually for some time already in academia. It's just that they're now doing it in such a grand scale and it's expanded to the rest of the society that we notice it. But this has been what the way the politically correct have behaved now for many years. Uh, all cultures canceled. The question is for what and how widely and through what means. I think we agree on that fact. Cancellation isn't exactly about free speech, but a liberal society should theoretically cancel less frequently than its rivals. Uh, no, it is about free speech. They cannot stand that somebody will have a point of view that is different from theirs, even in a slight degree. So well, it's about free speech and it's about an, an exercise of power that no free society should tolerate. Fascist societies do that, but no free societies do that. Why do you think we have gotten to this point, Dr. Monvar? Pardon me? Why do you think we've gotten to this point where uh, we are acting in an anti-liberal way uh, while we, we, have, we have been enjoying the food I, of I, 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 I think because there were groups on... I'm probably going to get into even more trouble. Fortunately, I'm retired, so nobody can fire me for anything. Um, but it was... Uh, and, they can, and they can cancel my show. It's, it's, I don't make money out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it began with a radical feminist way back in the 70s and 80s. And, um, and also with uh, the imposition of a uh, version of Title IX that doesn't exist in Title IX. Uh, which has been used to deprive men in universities of the freedom of speech and, and of due process. And I, uh, people cannot even question their accusers. Um, and uh, I even know people who were f expelled from the universities, from graduate school, not knowing what the charges were. 
This is how bad it is. And the Obama administration is the worst, the most guilty of all of them through um, Biden, who was in charge of imposing these violations of the Constitution. So this has become a, a common feature. And then this was extended from the universities to the general society with the Me Too, for example. All these men are fired only on the basis of an accusation. Nobody checks whether the accusation was true or not. And some of the accusations are completely insane. I mean, they they, they actually uh, destroy themselves. The accusations are so stupid, but it doesn't matter. The guy was accused, therefore he's guilty. Yeah. And so this sort of thing, which is one step away, and something outrageous did happen. I mean, what a psychopath policeman did, killing that man that way. And then all of a sudden, he just took all over. Uh, you know, this, this, it was a mob, just burning and looting all over the country. Peaceful protesters, you know, they actually have killed people. They have destroyed businesses. They have, they, I have seen film of these people breaking into restaurants and beating up all the people who are at the restaurant eating and setting fire to the restaurant from the inside and that sort of stuff. I mean, um, that kind of behavior. And but these were these were exceptions, doctor, and and the, and the general trend of the protests they were peaceful and uh, uh, and. I think you have fifty million dollars in losses in just one city, and we have at least twenty cities that were actually in smaller cities it also happened. Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina, for example, this sort of thing happened over there. They didn't destroy it as much, but they did behave this way, and so. This sort of thing happened. These people are entitled because they are doing it for social justice. And so I think there is this self-righteousness about it that began in colleges and universities. So um, just first to attack men and now to attack white people and so on, and then to attack the whole society, the whole country, the whole history, all that sort of thing. So it's this ob obvious self-righteousness in there, this hysterical self-righteousness. Thank you. Dr. Adnan, any comment? Yeah, you know, I think when you when he said it's a, a, a canceling an individual, I think it's getting worse that people are getting canceled because they are associated with someone who might have offended someone else. I'll give you an example. I'm not sure if you heard about it. There is a, a, a MLS player, uh, like a soccer player in America. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what team he plays for, but he's, his his contract was canceled. He was fired from the team just because his wife posted a tweet or posted something that was considered by someone racist and it was brought to people's attention. He was fired from his job for something that his wife wrote on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, he, but, he played for a team in Los Angeles. Exactly. And so, uh, yeah, the Galaxy. Galaxy, yeah, Los Angeles Galaxy soccer team. Like, what is that? I mean, people now are getting fired because someone else that they they, they, they related to said something. It's just it's it, it it's it's a slippery slope. It's it's the, the thing. So I don't think I agree that this thing is only against someone. It's against also someone associated with someone. Okay. Due to uh, you know we're almost coming to an end of the episode, I'm gonna uh, skip uh, through some of these. Uh, number eight, the right and left both cancel. It's just that today's right is too weak to do it effectively. Do you agree with this statement? I think that right at some points may have been very critical of some people, but I don't remember the right ever trying to have a professor fire because he had left his views. 
Uh, well, not since the 1950s. That was a time when it was done. So if you're a member of the Communist Party or you express sympathy towards the Communist Party or something like that, or which was uh, interpreted as uh, sympathy towards the Communist Party, not even that the person actually had any, uh, then that was a black mark in American history. And that was when the right did this. But this was in the 1950s, you know, 70 years ago, we are talking about. And uh, by the 1960s, this didn't exist anymore. Once Kennedy came into the White House, all that disappeared, you know. And uh, so it hadn't happened for a long time until now. Um, uh, but now it's a lot worse than it was back then. Then well, it affected people, but now it, it, it could be uh, anyone. And we have to remember what the cure is to all of this, is to enforce the Constitution, especially the Constitution guarantees to free speech and due process, and also the law. If we need a government that can do this sort of thing, a government that actually sympathizes with this kind of thing will be the worst disaster for uh, for American democracy. Uh, I, I, uh, as I said earlier, the, the, the right sometimes do this, the cancel culture, but if you look across campuses and speakers who have been actually canceled on campuses, who uh, professors who have been, uh, 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 you know, uh, like who've been fired because of uh, people calling for their cancellation, it's mainly the, the left. And don't get me wrong, I identify myself uh, <laughs> as belonging to the left sometimes, but I think for this left, I'm not left enough, you know? <laughs> I believe that that the left is uh, has done more of these things, especially across campuses. You know, I mean, all you have to say is that someone is coming to campus to say something, and you will see the mob trying to cancel their speech or their their ability to talk. Jordan Peterson was was cancelled many times uh, because of this uh, mentality. Yes, I uh, there has been there has been just if, if I if I may refresh your memories with uh, a trend of canceling uh, speakers because of uh, uh, presumed anti-Americanness. Or if you remember the uh, politically incorrect show of Bill Maher getting canceled because he said that uh, the uh, September 11 attackers were not uh, cowards. And, uh, you know, this sort of cancellations that also has been uh, done uh, previously by you can say more the right than the left uh, because Bill Maher is perceived as the left uh, at that point. Um, but the, what, the, what the New York article is claiming that uh, the right is not canceling as much as the left because they're weaker. Do you agree with? Do you agree that if the right was stronger, then they would have canceled more, or do you think it's a philosophical difference? No, I think that there was a time when that was true. And again, that was the 1950s. But unless it's something very rare, um, I don't think so. And definitely not on college campuses. Um, that just doesn't happen. And as for the country as a whole, um, it is very rare. For example, the left constantly organizes boycotts against people whose opinions they don't like. Uh, I remember here in Michigan that um, some member of the legislature, important member of the legislature, has some points of view that the left didn't like. So they actually boycotted his personal business. He had some kind of store or something. And 
I, I thought that was absolutely horrible. What I don't like about the right, I might say, in, the, in all of this, is that they keep calling all these fascists liberals. And these people, these cancel culture people, are not liberals at all. I'm a liberal. I have always been a liberal. But these people are not liberals, you know, just because they came from the Democratic Party. You know, I don't think that this fascist behavior is liberal in the least. This totalitarian behavior definitely is not. So I wish that right would stop calling these people liberals. You know, like a Fox Channel, for example, they call them liberals. They are not. You know. but, but to speak to what you said with Sam, mm -hmm. I don't know, uh, a few years back, uh, there was uh, this show that came to Dearborn and, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, stayed with a Muslim family. Remember the show? All and, American Muslim, yes. Oh, All American Muslim. And there was a lot of boycotts, calls for boycotts from the conservative party or not because of conservative people because they said that they're trying to humanize Muslims, showing them as, 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 as people who have lives. And the show was canceled because a lot of adver advertisements were taken out. So that, 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 that's, that's also, yeah, you're right. Sub they do that sometimes. And uh, it was done in a few years because of the show. I'm not sure, Dr. Monobar, if you're familiar with it. But because of this was, yeah, you know, we right. could it was, it was Islamophobia, when a time where the word Islamophobia was getting born, right? It was a new word. Um, it's a very big discussion. I want to thank you again for joining me for this discussion. I'm going to end with uh, a conclusion or a question that uh, Ross uh, uh, presents in the New York Times uh, article, and I'll have both of you comment on it before we end the program. He says, uh, let me share the screen just for the sake of quoting. Um, he says that to liberals or centrists who fear the left-wing zeal for cancellation need a counter-argument that doesn't rest on right to be wrong principles alone and free speech principles alone they need to identify the places where they think the new left-wing norms aren't merely too censorious but simply wrong and fight the battle there on substance as well as liberal principle otherwise their battle for free speech is only likely to win them the privilege of having their own ideas cancelled last of all that's under the point he's trying to make that if you oppose left-wing cancel culture appeals to liberalism and free speech aren't enough. What is the alternative? If you were to educate a left um, uh, you know, a group that believes in cancellations as a method of empowerment, how would you recommend for them an alternative to voice their opinions? Dr. Manuvar, as a final uh, comment. Well, that's what the humanities in the old days used to do in universities to teach them the things that Plato said and Aristotle said. Aristotle said that it is crucial to have different points of view, and particularly John Stuart Mill on why freedom of speech is so important. If what the opposite opinion tells us is confirms ours, because we turn out to, to win in the, in the argument, then we win. And if they turn out to be right and we are wrong, then we also win because we get a chance to accept a better view. So, of course, the humanities have pretty much disappeared from universities. They are being replaced now, for the most part, by what is called grievance uh, majors. 
uh, which are actually as politically correct as they can possibly be. But short of that, um, short of convincing fascists that they should actually respect freedom, um, I think it is important to have a government that enforces the law and the, and the constitutional rights of its citizens. That is crucial. Uh, after all, if you have a mob that is burning your house down, trying to talk them out of it, it's not going to be very likely. You may have to take a stronger action than that. Either you flee or you defend your home, one of those two, you know. But argument is not going to work against people who don't care. No. So you need a government that actually defends the citizens that is supposed to protect. Thank you, Dr. Dr. Adnan. Yeah, I think uh, if I understood the quote uh, uh, correctly, it's giving uh, some kind of, uh, 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 you know, like exclusivity to the left that their opinions are right, you know. And uh, I think people have to uh, know that they don't have an exclusive truth or exclusive uh, beliefs that are right, you know. Uh, the, 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 I, I think that the best argument is freedom of speech because just because you believe something doesn't make it true you know and the left have so many beliefs and uh, and they're treating others who deviate from these beliefs are completely morally corrupt like you just have to not believe what they say and to get attacked uh, so i don't believe that uh, the way is that for us to show them us something other than free speech. No, I don't think there is any cure. Is that it's a, it's a market of ideas and, and, and people have to, 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 uh, to uh, uh, share ideas and, 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 and oppose ideas. And I agree with Dr. Monovar, the humanities, you know, uh, part of what happened even at universities, part of the trigger culture is some of these humanities had classes that have been canceled because some of these authors have been called patriarchal uh, have been called that they uh, they uh, kind of keep the status quo, uh, that they are sexist, that they are racist. You know, it's, it's just been amazing, this whole journey uh, uh, in our universities and campuses. So, no, I don't agree that we have other than freedom of speech and uh, our constitutional right to, to express and say whatever we believe. Thank you, Dr. Adnan. And uh, by the end of this episode, I want to tell a story that happened with me that illustrates probably an alternative to cancel culture. So when I first came, emigrated to uh, to Canada, I was more of an Islamist at that time. Uh, I leaned towards the side of fundamentalism. And I came from the Middle East, so I wasn't used to freedom of speech. And in my uh, one of my high school uh, um, um, courses in English literature, the teacher has given an article for the class to read that was written by Salman Rushdie. And at that time, uh, Salman Rushdie was an icon for uh, apostasy in, in Islam, and his book was censored. And there was a wide approval in the Islamic world for his censorship, uh, if not also the, the fatwa to end his life. Um, so I felt, uh, coming with the Middle Eastern mind, I felt enraged that the teacher is giving such an article to the classroom, uh, an article that addresses uh, negative comments about Islam. And I felt uh, that uh, it's kind of racist. And I went to the principal and I uh, complained. And the principal spoke to the teacher 
and uh, the principal defended the teacher's decision, saying that this is a work of literature, and it's current, and it meets the curriculum, and uh, it's freedom of speech. But uh, I will give you an opportunity, Wissam, is to write a reply to it, and we will hang your reply on the wall of the classroom. So if a student is interested, they'll read it. We can't give you the platform in the classroom to speak to the students, but we can. you can write an article and we'll hang it for you on the wall for the students to read the other perspective. So I spent my weekend writing that article and it was hung on the wall of the, of the classroom for people to read the different perspective. Uh, I think that was one of my first early lessons in uh, freedom of speech and liberalism. I think this is what I would uh, invite the uh, people who use cancellation as a method for empowerment, that uh, it will, at the end of the day, it will hurt all of us to cancel speech. Uh, what you might disagree with today, you might agree with tomorrow. And even if you disagree with it tomorrow, it doesn't give you the right to remove it from the space of knowledge. The best way is to fight for uh, voicing your opinion rather than canceling the voices of others. With that, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Munavar, for your for valuable time on this uh, show, live discussions. Dr. Adnan Jaber, we hope to we'll see you in upcoming episodes. For our audience, thank you very much. This will be available on Facebook and YouTube. will be podcasted on Dearborn Blog Podcast, on Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. Have a great night. Have a great night. Thank you, guys. Thank you.